Hello, welcome to The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilley. It's Wednesday, the 8th of June, and today I'm joined by Jamila Rizvi, uh, who went on the project last night after a very grim day in Melbourne. I mean, I'm a pretty optimistic person, but this coronavirus is starting to give me the shits a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jamila? How are you doing? Look, we promised my little boy, who's five and does not eat his dinner within a four-hour time period. We promised him a sleepover in exchange for eating oh. his dinner on time for two weeks. And now it's gone. Oh. I've got nothing. I'm just going to have to sit at that dinner table. Oh. But I've got nowhere else to go. Jamila, welcome to the briefing now. You're in your house getting ready for lockdown. Trying to make light of it there, but obviously it's been a pretty tough time in Melbourne. Yeah, absolutely. You make some jokes when you're on TV, but if I'm honest... We are all feeling really, really flat. Yeah. I think we were worried about people's mental health the first time around. Yeah. Now I'm really worried. Yeah, and so you drove home after being in the studio last night and you drove past the supermarket. What did it look like? Yeah, well, it was about 8.30pm on a Tuesday night. It wasn't prime time for the supermarket shop mm. and it looked like 10am on a Saturday morning. It was absolutely packed. People are preparing to stay at home for what I imagine is going to be quite a long time. Yeah, pretty scary stuff. We're all feeling for you from the rest of the country. Obviously, you've got a, a tough six weeks ahead. We're also all worried that it could happen to us as well. And I think the complacency has, has really gone for a lot of people now. So that's probably the only good thing to come out of this. Uh, in a moment, we're going to talk about, I guess we're looking for hope anywhere, whether, whether our poo can save us. We're going to talk about sewerage testing, which is a pretty fascinating conversation. Right now, let's get into the big headlines of the day. From midnight tonight, Melbourne will be plunged back into lockdown for at least another six weeks. There is simply no alternative other than thousands and thousands of cases uh, and potentially more, many, many people in hospital and the inevitable tragedy that will come from that. Premier Daniel Andrews ordered that five million Melbournians and one local government area north of the city stay at home again after a record 191 cases yesterday. I think a sense of complacency has crept into us as we let our frustrations get the better of us. I think that each of us knows someone who has not been following the rules as well as they should have. I think each of us know that we've got no choice but to take these very, very difficult steps. Yeah, that was a very intense press conference, one I don't think I'll forget for a while. Uh, also speaking there was Victoria's Chief Health Officer, Brett Sutton, who says they know what will happen if people don't take this seriously. There is a unanimous view that this is required to avoid uh, absolutely catastrophic outcomes. Indeed, thousands of cases per day. And what I do not want to see is uh, any more deaths than are already predicted. Even Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt has admitted that none of our political leaders thought this new outbreak would be this bad. This is more significant than I think anybody had anticipated. The extent of the breach, the scope of the breach from the hotel quarantine and the impact has uh, had a profound effect on Victorians. Yeah, the health minister there. So there's only four reasons to leave home in Victoria now. It's for work, if you can't work from home, essential groceries, exercise and medical care. And we've also found out the two Ambulance Victoria paramedics have also tested positive for the coronavirus. And the federal government says China is no longer safe for Australians to travel to. The Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade has upgraded its advice to do not travel, warning that foreigners may be accused of endangering national security and are at risk of arbitrary detention. In other words, you could be arrested just on suspicion, without trial and without any boundaries on how long you'll be detained. 
Yeah, and this updated advice comes after the arrest of a man called Xu Zhongrun this week. He's a prominent critic of the president, Xi Jinping, um, and he has ties to Australia, having studied in Australia. So that was another case that really got Australian authorities concerned about what's happening in China. It really feels like tensions have hit a, a new high, right? It just feels like we've got a tinderbox ready to explode and perhaps the only thing stopping it is that there isn't much travel going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're not travelling anywhere, but normally the, the do not travel warning is given to fairly dangerous places like war zones. So to to think that you know, one of the world's biggest economies now has that warning on it is is pretty out there. First, it was India and now America is thinking about banning TikTok. We're taking this very seriously. We're, we're, we're certainly looking at it. We've worked on this very issue for a long time. Would whether. you recommend that people download that app on their phones? Only if you want your private information in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. That was the US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, earlier this week, TikTok's Australian General Manager Lee Hunter hosed down suggestions the Chinese government is using TikTok to steal our data. TikTok would never share any user information with any foreign government, including the Chinese government. Putting our users' safety and their privacy first is something we're focused on every day. Well, he might have to explain that to a Senate committee. Um, There's a committee on foreign interference through social media, and they're pushing for the TikTok executives to appear before it as they investigate data and security concerns around this app. I wonder what the 1.6 million Australian TikTok users think of that, Jamila. Well, I'm one of the 1.6, Tom, (laughs) and I've got to say I'm feeling a little bit anxious just as we read this out. And it's come out overnight that the Brazilian president, um, Jair Bolsonaro, has got COVID-19. He's been downplaying the threat of the virus for months as the pandemic spirals out of control in Brazil. 65,000 people have died there, second only to the US. I cannot even wrap my head around that number, 65,000 people. At least he was wearing a face mask as he made the announcement, though. And this comes just as a Nobel Prize-winning scientist says people who refuse to wear face masks should be treated like drunk drivers. Yeah, Professor Venki Ramakrishnan wrote in an international science journal that it used to be quite normal to have quite a few drinks and drive home. It also used to be normal to drive without seatbelts. Today, both of these would be considered antisocial and not wearing face coverings in public should be regarded in the same way. Hasn't it been a strange back and forth debate we've had on on the face mask? It sort of seems now, particularly in light of the announcement yesterday, that anything we can do to help stop the spread of this virus is, is worth it. Yeah, well, I think there's there's that great uh, piece of work going around from a bunch of scientists who tried to explain it really simply and said, if we all run around naked and someone did a wee on you, everyone gets wet, right? But if one of you's wearing pants, it's only a little bit. If you're both wearing pants, everyone gets to stay dry. So just <laughs> wear your damn face masks. <laughs> well, also, that... don't run around nude. That was not a suggestion on that either. Mm. Well, that one really cuts through to me. Um, thanks for that, Jamila. <laughs> All right, Annick Smithhurst is here. We're talking about testing our sewerage. Could our poo save us from the pandemic? Yes, it's a very unlikely hero, but I guess science is often surprising and sometimes disgusting. And Annika, this is a story that's fascinated you more than you might care to admit. Yeah, 
yeah, I just, I can't believe this is something that could help save us. The stuff we put in the toilet is being tested. Look, experts here in the ANU in Canberra have been testing the ACT's wastewater for traces of COVID-19. Now, testing wastewater is a quick and inexpensive way of tracking the coronavirus and potentially alerting communities to an outbreak before symptoms even show up. Yeah, in Europe, they've had some success in picking up small traces of the virus before symptoms start. And obviously that could really help us here. So is testing toilet water the answer? Dr. Apana Lau from the ANU Research School of Population Health is leading a team of researchers and they took daily samples of wastewater throughout May covering the whole of the ACT's population and they didn't find any trace of the virus. All right, let's find out more about how the testing works and how it could be rolled out. Apana, thank you for joining us. Could our poo really save us? Well, it can definitely be a really good indicator of illness and it's been used worldwide. It's quite an established method to look at how much antibiotics we're using in the community, opioid use in the community. So it's a really good indicator of who's sick, when. So as a public health tool, what can we test? You touched on drugs there and it's been used in Australia to see who's taking what drugs where. But what other things can we pick up from testing poo? So there's lots and lots of things we can pick up basically from testing sewage. The sewage is, I guess, a, for want of another word, a mix of lots of different things. So it's not just poop. It's all of our waste. (laughs) That Um, seems to be the one we want to focus on because that (laughs) seems to just intrigue the human mind to no end. (laughs) Yes. And actually, I have to say, I was a little bit apprehensive about the sewage testing project because I wasn't quite sure what to expect from the samples. So we're collecting a water sample every day and it's actually not as bad as or as gross as people think it is. <laughs> so how does it work? Are you finding out what's been through people's system and therefore what has happened and what infections have existed? Or is this actually a way of getting ahead of the curve relative to the mainstream testing methods of the oral and nasal swabs? Yeah, so look, the idea came to us from a study that was first done in the Netherlands where they actually found that they were able to pick up a coronavirus in the sewage before they got a peak in clinical infections. And so that's kind of where we got the idea from. We said, well, can we use this as a fairly rapid and inexpensive method to support the patient testing and hospital reporting that's being done currently? So in no way is sewage testing ever going to replace the nasal swabs and things you were talking about, but it's definitely an additional tool that can be used to support it. And when you're testing wastewater, is it for a whole city? Can you be more specific and really hunker down to a neighbourhood? Or is this only something we can use on sort of a grander scale? Look, it's more of a broad scale tool, especially in the ACT. So most of urban Canberra is serviced by the lower Malonglo sewage quality treatment plant, which is where we are getting our daily samples from. So we would be looking at the Canberra community as a whole, but certainly in other cities, bigger cities, there are different sewage treatment plants that are servicing different parts of the community. So you can get a slightly finer scale answer there. So in the US, we've seen about 400 wastewater treatments plants. They've joined a program run by a startup and they're going to try and identify the virus over there. We know they're in a bit of a a world of pain. Is this something our government should really use to as a, one of the tools to counter the coronavirus? And a government sort of picking up on this or is it still academics and the private sector? 
No, it's definitely, I guess when we talk government, we definitely are partnering with the health authorities as well as other government partners. There are, at the moment, different groups doing it in different parts of the country. So it will be really good for us to come together and set up a standardised national sort of monitoring protocol using sewage. Aparna, how long have you been testing in Canberra and were you testing before the virus was essentially eradicated because you've only had one case there in the last month and that came from outside? Yeah, look, we started collecting samples from the end of April and the results that we just released show no detection of the virus in all samples that we took from May. So this period, I guess, coincided with a period when there were no new coronavirus cases in the ACT either. In my view, these are really excellent outcomes because it kind of supports what we already knew and it reassures the community and the health authorities that there were no high levels of undetected community transmission, which is one of the things that sewage can be really good for. So you can tell if there are cases in the community, but can you tell how many cases? So, you know, is it just one person sort of wrecking the sample or is there, you know, can we tell that there's a huge outbreak and maybe that area needs to go into immediate lockdown? Look, that's a really good question. And at the moment, we're definitely working on, now that we know that the method works, what we're working on is making it more sensitive and making it a lot faster than it currently is so that we can start to answer some of those questions. But because our samples coincided with a period of no coronavirus cases in the ACT, at this stage, we can't say how much virus in the sewage would equal to how many infections in the community The other thing to note is also that virus shedding is different. So, you know, you might have one person that sheds more virus than another. So it's very hard to know exactly how much of the virus equals to how many people. Aparna, if you've tested in this period where Canberra doesn't have any COVID-19 transmissions and you haven't found any in your tests, how do you know your testing is actually working? Yes, great question, Tom. So we've actually spent a lot of time trying to make sure that the test actually works. So we were actually worried at the start when we weren't getting any detections of the virus about that exact thing. So what we've actually done is we've taken a subset of the samples and we've subjected them to advanced genetic testing, which allows us to see exactly what is in the sewage across a range of different things. And so what we've been able to see is we are able to pick up other RNA viruses, which tells us that the method is working but we haven't been able to detect the coronavirus. Have you been able to go and test older samples that you've collected before this program started? Because in Spain, at the University of Barcelona, they found traces of the virus from a sample from March last year. No. In short, we actually couldn't ask Icon Water to collect different samples for us. We kind of piggybacked on what they already did, which is collect daily samples for compliance. Right. So what do you make of those results from Barcelona? Does it mean that the coronavirus that we're seeing now was actually in that community at that time, or could that result tell us something different? Yeah, look, from the, um, the results from Barcelona, from my understanding, are still under peer review. My feeling is that we need to wait to see how valid those results really are, because one of the key things in science is reproducibility. So how reproducible are those results? One of the things we are really keen to work on in the ACT is making sure that methods are reliable and reproducible and therefore can be transferred to different jurisdictions. And what's the legality around this? Is it a case that once we expel things into the bathroom, we no longer have any rights over it? Is there any sort of issue around 
what you can tell about a person from doing these tests? A bit of privacy, maybe. <laughs> I'm not a legal person, though. I don't have any expertise in that area. But I, I guess one of the cool things about this sort of testing regime or surveillance tool is the fact that you can't pinpoint an individual. Mm. We're not saying that people on the street are excreting more virus or something like that. It is a very broad brush approach. So how long is it going to take before we see this being used in other places? That is a really hard question to answer. We are all, we're working as fast as we possibly can, but we are still, in terms of the lab capacity, we are actually still running on a skeleton crew. So not only is it about getting the method as sensitive as possible, but it's also about the resources that we currently have that we hope that we're going to be able to expand soon. Yeah, and, and if it is rolled out on a broader scale, what will it tell us as it gives us this indicator alongside the clinical testing? The main value of this is one that it can look to tell us whether we have high levels of undetected community transmission. Because at the end of the day, no matter how many patients we test or how much hospital testing we do, we can't at this point in time test absolutely every single person in the community. So this is just another tool that's going to further support the response to the pandemic by giving them another way to sort of measure what's happening in the community. And if we can get it as sensitive as we want to, we can also use it over the long term to see if we can develop it into like an early warning system. So, for example, what happened in the Netherlands? So can we pick up an increase in the virus in the sewage before we start seeing clinical cases? And therefore, can that inform how we allocate health resources and other things? That was Dr. Aparna Lau from the ANU Research School for Population Health. Really exciting to hear that it could be used as an early warning system and maybe help us handle situations like what's going on in Melbourne a bit better. Yeah, I absolutely have no issue with them taking my poo if that's what they want to do (laughs) and testing it, if it helps everyone else. But I just wonder, you know, are we going to have big sirens in the street if a certain area is detected and then you all get locked down? But look, anything that can help and we don't get in a situation like, as you say, Melbourne's suffering with. Yeah, well, anything that can be more targeted um, as to where the outbreak is so the whole community is affected and anything that helps us get ahead of it would be really useful. All right, tomorrow in the briefing, we're going to take you inside the Melbourne Public Housing Tower in lockdown and find out how people there are coping. Look forward to speaking to you then. Follow us on Instagram if you haven't already at The Briefing Podcast and have a great day. A podcast one production.